Hello and welcome to the Hinterviews podcast with Peter Hinton, produced by the National Arts Centre English Theatre and coming to you from the Panorama Room of Canada's National Arts Centre in Ottawa. I'm Sean Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the sixth Hinterview of the NAC English Theatre's 40th anniversary season. In each episode, we will take you into the intimate world of the artists and creative minds behind the productions on stage at the National Arts Centre English Theatre. In them, Artistic Director Peter Hinton chats with a guest artist associated with the production. In this interview podcast, Peter speaks with playwright Joanna McClellan-Glass and former English Theatre Artistic Director Marty Meriden about their collaboration on the world premiere of Mrs. Dexter and Her Daily, which ran in the NAC Theatre February 17th to March 6th. For more information about the NAC English Theatre production of Mrs. Dexter and Her Daily, please visit nac-cna.ca. Click on English Theatre. And now, here are Peter Hinton, Joanna McClellan-Glass, and Marty Meriden. everyone. Welcome to this afternoon's interview. I have been looking forward to this all season. Today we have two very, very special guests with us to talk about our current production of Mrs. Dexter and her daily. And before I can restrain you in welcoming them, I want to tell everyone a little bit about our guests. Sitting directly to my left, we have Joanna McClelland Class. And Joanna was born in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Her plays have been produced in many, many North American regional theaters in Canada and in the United States, as well as England, Ireland, Australia, and Germany. Her one-act plays include Canadian Gothic and American Modern, and they were first produced at the Manhattan Theater Club in New York City in 1972. Artichoke, starring Colleen Dewhurst, was first produced at the Long Wharf Theatre in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, to Grandmother's House We Go, starring Ava La Gallienne, I want to ask you about her, was produced on Broadway in 1980. <clears throat> Play Memory, directed by Harold Prince, was produced at McCarter Theatre in Princeton, New Jersey, moving to Broadway in 1984, earning a Tony Award nomination that year. Her play Yesteryear was produced by the Canadian Stage Company in Toronto, as well as If We Are Women, which was produced everywhere. I think every major regional theatre in Canada and the United States did If We Are Women, and uh, it was a fantastic play. And um, all of us here at the NAC, of course, will remember Joanna's gorgeous play Trying uh, with Paul Souls and Carolyn Cave, and which was directed by the lady next to Joanna, Ms. Marty Meriden. Um, Joanna has written two novels. Uh, she was awarded a Rockefeller Grant, Playwright-in-Residence at Yale Repertory Theatre, National Endowment for the Arts in 1980, Guggenheim Fellowship. Uh, there are not words enough, and uh, it is a great honour. So please join me in welcoming Joanna McClellan-Glass. Next to Joanna is a woman that I know is familiar to so many of us here, 
And uh, last night was uh, really special because um, uh, it was our opening and an official way to welcome Marty back to the NAC. And uh, Marty Meriden was artistic director of English theater for eight years. And while at the NAC, she worked with companies all across Canada in classical works, international plays, and Canadian premieres. She was one of the driving forces behind the creation of the Magnetic North Theatre Festival that champions new work and presents here in Ottawa every other year. She was co-artistic director of the Stratford Shakespeare Festival for the 2008 season and has acted as well as directed at theatres across Canada, including the Arts Club in Vancouver, which is our partner on this show, the Citadel Theatre, Theatre Calgary, Manitoba Theatre Centre, the Shaw Festival, Canadian Stage, uh, pretty much you name it. Uh, Marty has been on the boards in front of the footlights or afore them uh, all across. And this summer she is um, returning to Stratford while she will be directing The Winter's Tale in her 18th season there. So please join me in welcoming home Marty Meriden. So I want to start, and um, I want to ask a question, which is, how did you two meet? Do you remember when you first met oh, her? clearly, <laughs> yes. If yes. you're an actress who has been asked to come in and read for a play written by Joanna Glass, directed by Hal Prince, and you go walk out onto a Broadway stage and wow. look out in, <laughs> into the audience and see these two iconic figures of the theater. You don't forget that. <laughs> and I got called back. I was taken very seriously, so I, I had a, a, a kick at the can. I, it was, and and I, I think I remember you saying that, uh, that you guys were so impressed that I could say Saskatchewan. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> this was a play called Play Memory uh, that has been referred to, and uh, so we were doing these auditions, and the casting uh, uh, lady said to me, well, we're bringing in a few Canadians. The play is, is uh, about my chronically alcoholic father in Saskatchewan, and we needed someone to play the daughter, me, in, in other words. And uh, so that was when I first met Marty. I was, you know, sitting mm. in the balcony, kind of, and uh, she came out and did, uh, did, did her stuff and said Saskatchewan very well, which most of the Americans <laughs> couldn't do. And uh, so that would have been, I think, uh, I think 1982 or three or something like that. Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some years ago. We have a bit of mileage on us. <laughs> <laughs> we also have all dressed yes, in gray. Yes, I mean, look today. at this. We found each other this morning. We're not really as somber as, as this. Wow. And um, you have worked with many directors, and it's a very close relationship, particularly on a new play, I think, the relationship of the playwright to the director, because they, in many respects, become your voice in the rehearsal room and how moments that you've imagined and thought about and taken so much time to construct get realized. What do you uh, look for in a relationship with a director? And how, does, how would you describe your relationship with Marty? Well, it, it's the very first production that is the kind of, you know, the, the baptism by fire um, mm. on the play. <clears throat> Second, third, and, and productions afterward, um, it's a strange kind of a psychological thing because the actors, the designers and such, they all just know that it's been done before and somehow 
that's a kind of a stamp of approval that it's had a prior production or a few. And so they just go with it and they, they have confidence uh, in the text. Frequently on the first production, you're working very hard to establish mm. that confidence in the text. And if you're, if you're a writer, writer as opposed to sort of performance artist, or if you write what uh, is commonly called text-driven plays. I mean, I'm such a text-driven person, I can't imagine a play being anything but. I mean, what is it if it's not text-driven, you know? Um, so you, you find yourself being, in, sometimes in an untoward uh, manner, being very, very protective of the very mm. first production mm. because the actors have a lot to say about it, uh, the mm. way in which the designer envisions uh, mm -hmm. the thing can have a terrific influence on it. And you're in a very vulnerable space because you want everybody to be happy, but mm. you don't want to be rewriting and tailoring for the collaborative group that's been given to you. Right. Uh, because you, uh, you often lose the baby with the bathwater. Um, so the great thing oh. about working with Marty is that, you know, number one, she has her scholarship in the theater is, is just magnificent. I mean, you, you have to trust that tremendously, mm. all that Shakespeare, all that. When I talk about the mileage, you know, it does mean something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so you go in less afraid that you're going to lose the play. Mm-hmm when you have a director who protects the text. Mm -hmm. And Marty, what is it for you when you're working on a new play contrasted with like a Shakespeare play or one that's been produced lots of times? How is the directing of the play different for you? And what are the unique things about doing a Joanna McClellan Glass play? Oh, well, first of all, when you direct the very first production, it's everything that Joanna has said. This is the first time the play will see life. And the sense of responsibility is enormous because you, you don't want to let it... I don't do a play. I don't direct a play if I don't love it. I don't know how I would ever talk to actors and say, this is wonderful and, and get them enthused about it or speak to an audience. Um, you know, when you're younger, sometimes you take jobs and do anything, you know, uh, when you're starting out as an actor or director. But the older you get, the more you, you really want to hone in on doing things that you care about. So you start from the premise that you love the play. And Joanna and I actually started working on this play together at least a couple of years ago and counting because we were, uh, I was involved in a, an earlier workshop and uh, you know, and, uh, some of the earlier drafts of the play. And, um, and so I love the play, and I, I don't want to, to do it harm. I want to uh, give it grace and, and make it live and breathe on the stage. So um, obviously, Joanna and I talked greatly together, and we were in constant <laughs> communication throughout rehearsals, even when she wasn't in the, in the room. The first few days, she was with us, and then after that, it was email, 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 and sometimes on the phone, you know, to make sure, because I never wanted to change anything without getting her approval, even though she, she gave me license at times, and I thought, oh, you're very good to do that, but I still need to know it's okay with you. Um, it starts, uh, of course, a lot when you're going to do a play, and it all mm -hmm. really began mm -hmm. because I believed in this play so much, I sent it mm -hmm. to Peter mm -hmm. and asked if, you know, if they would just read it. I wasn't saying, oh, you know, bring me to, in to direct that. I was, I was only saying this play should be done, whoever does it. it you know, it, it might not be me, it might be somebody else who directs it. But I was so thrilled when it came back. I loved the play enough to say, to be 
uh, one of the people who helped to, you know, uh, to bring it to the attention of those who might produce it. So um, that the first great step is to get a production of a play, mm -hmm. uh, to make that play manifest to, to mm -hmm. uh, the powers that be in theaters. And then, of course, uh, the careful, careful job of casting, especially in a play where each of the two women is alone on stage for an entire act. And it's a unique structure, this play. So you need not just wonderful actors, but actors who have the wherewithal, which is a very different exercise when you have to speak directly to the audience and engage them. And that's a skill that goes in, a, you know, is sometimes um, beyond what a, a very, very good actor would do if they were on stage talking to another actor and you're the observer listener. In this case, the women welcome you in. Um, so I think, you know, just taking great care that, that, that you realize the text, that, and you'll, you'll see this afternoon, for those of you who are coming today or when you see the play, how much physical activity is in the play, which, uh, which Joanna has essentially written in. But, but your, your big question was, is there too much text? Is there not enough text? You know, when a chore is being done, it's, you, until you do it, you don't know. There's so much, so much to be done and to, um, to mine the depths of these great characters, these women are extraordinary. Uh, so, so it, it's all of that. Um, uh, your, the second part of, of your question was, how do I feel about directing jo uh, Joanna Glass play? Well, I think I've already answered it yeah, in a sense, because yeah. uh, you know I did trying, and I loved it, and I've loved Joanna's plays. I think I've seen or read everything she's ever done, and um, uh -huh. and I've I've loved them all along, and I've gone back and looked at some older plays, mm. seriously, that The ones that embarrassed me. <laughs> yes, exactly. The early ones. <laughs> yes, right. Uh -huh. And I can't understand why she's embarrassed, because I think they're terrific, but there you go. Uh -huh. But no, I, I love her. I love the intelligence, the heart, the irreverence, the courage. Uh, mm. In this play, Joanna tackles really, really tough subject matter. And you'll you'll see that it's really it. She's she doesn't pull her punches. It's really, really amazing stuff, and it's so so full of heart. Hmm. Yeah. Joanna, many of your plays um, have an inspiration in an experience from your own life, and yet they're not autobiographical in a obvious way or a pedantic way. What is that process like for you? Um, do your friends and family live in terror that they're going to show up and <laughs> something big happens and, oh no, mom's going to... I do now. <laughs> you do now. But how do you reflect upon that, looking on your work? Well, um, specifically on play memory, it was so terribly autobiographical, mm. and I really was... I was unable to really to do it until my parents passed. Uh-huh. Um, because you're so afraid of, of insult and injury and all that stuff, and especially in the family, because it's, yeah. also, it's also delicate. Uh, the autobiographical stuff is always a collage. Um, in Mrs. Dexter and her daily, um, Peg, who is the daily maid in the house, it's in Rosedale in, in Toronto, um, is uh, essentially an illiterate. She graduated from grade six and uh, a, a woman from Nova Scotia who uh, worked for me for a period of nine years, but not as a daily. She was just someone who came every couple of weeks to help me with housekeeping. And we got to know each other very well. But I have to sort of preface that with, I don't think that I would have been so, so moved by her story had I not had in, in Saskatoon uh, an illiterate mother, a mother mm. who was pulled out of school in second grade, 
and whose whole life as I witnessed it was uh, this, this curse of illiteracy uh, on, on a life is hard to imagine when you know how to read and write and you know how to answer the phone and you have a certain authority um, because mm. of that. When you don't have it, and I would wit witness my mother, for instance, um, uh, in church. We didn't go to church very often, but, but when we did, there would be a call for a page so-and-so. And she had a whole kind of ritual worked out as if she really knew what, what she was doing. She would never come to, um, I think today they call them PTA meetings, but <clears throat> excuse me, in my youth they were called home and school meetings. She would never attend a meeting because there were always those, you know, those purple inked mimeographed sheets that were <laughs> handed out and she had to have a whole kind of ritual of, well, she couldn't read any of it and, and she was always uh, afraid all through her life that she would embarrass me. So had I not had that mother, I think I probably would not have had the feelings about the pig uh, character. And I've always wanted to write about, uh, you know, what is essentially upstairs, downstairs, as far as class goes and economics. But um, what, what I think the, well, I, I hope it's, maybe it's daring, I don't know. Um, I didn't want to put the both of them out there. I didn't want upstairs, downstairs that way. I wanted to hear uh, the dailies story and her plight in life and then I wanted to hear Mrs. Dexter's and I wanted to see how I would interweave them without having them on stage together. So it's essentially two monologues um, but it's always a collage of a lot of autobiographical mm. stuff. Mm. And, and you know it's interesting because a comment that I hear from audience and that uh, I observe myself is the play prompts memories of people I know. And people go, oh, my mother was like this, or we had a daily that was like, like it, it transfers into the work with the public too. Mm -hmm. Was that part of the process for you, Marty, in the rehearsal? Was there, um, is there something very intimate about this work too that draws on personal experience and... Oh, uh, we, we were constantly telling each other mm -hmm. stories of people we knew or family members or, or our own experiences. And I think, I think what is uh, also so rich about this is that the women don't just tell their own story. They tell each other's story. So you, you'll hear Peg tell mm. a story about a husband, and she'll tell you so much. But in the second act, when Mrs. Dexter... Uh, comes on is on stage with us. She fills in information, and you can't help but go back. Oh, oh my goodness! What Peg didn't tell us tells us as much about her as what she did. And and also the play is peopled with off-stage characters. To me, this is the yeah. sign of the the greatest sign of great writing. Um, what is that line in Private Lives about? Vera Charles and uh, uh, had the nastiest looking hairbrush I'd ever seen or something like that. Mm. You know, and you go, you never meet this Vera, whatever, but you just know what she's like because of that hairbrush <laughs> line. And, and I, wait till you meet both neighbors, next yeah. door neighbors. Wait till you, uh, you hear about the man who cleans carpets. Wait till you hear the children right. in both, right. I, both characters' instances. Those children become vividly alive to you. So all of a sudden you've got this huge cast. And yes, it, I think the 
play is um, kind of to go back to, to your base mm -hmm. question. I think it's uh, like all plays that really engage us at an emotional level. It's recognition. Everything from what you find in a fridge when you're going to clean it, to um, you know, to right. things that you experience right. with your own children, <laughs> to you know, to the way you answer a phone differently for different people. It's just filled with things. I I always hear. Somewhere around me, somebody's saying, oh, that's just like at home when we this, or I remember when my mother used to, or whatever. And I hear that every time I see the play from somebody. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes, we've all uh, <laughs> looked in the bathroom cupboards, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and the play is kind of like that, because we... I love me. that analogy, actually. A <laughs> <laughs> play is like looking in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, yes. It's good. Yeah. Heaven help us all. Yeah. Heaven help us yes. all. <laughs> but we, we gain that kind of intimacy, don't we? Mm -hmm. um, in the play, because um, the characters are talking to us, who are we in your imagination? Who, who, wait, who, who is went, the audience? Well, yeah, what drives mm -hmm. you to write and you want to talk to us, to, to break the fourth mm -hmm. wall, if you will? Mm -hmm. And um, how would the play be different? Did you ever envision it with a two-hander scene with Mrs. Dexter and Peg and them talking no, to each I, other? No, I didn't. I, and I think probably just with all my writing, there's a kind of a very, very fundamental tenet that was expressed it was probably expressed by, by Shakespeare who expressed everything, but mm -hmm. it's Chekhov that I'm thinking of um, mm -hmm. who was asked in an interview about, about his writing and um, how he made judgments about people uh, as, he was, as he was writing. And he basically said that he hoped to write with malice toward none. Mm -hmm. And that has always kind of stuck in my mind because um, I think it's extremely easy in our busy, crazy technological world to be very, very dismissive of the people who work for us and the people who work for us to be very dismissive of the people who have more and uh, are basically right. just, you know, the haves and the have-nots and they're the twain shall never sort of meet kind of thing. Um, I don't know if I'm really answering your, your mm. question or not, but from the audience point of view, I want them to care very, very much about both ends of the, of the, mm -hmm. the spectrum. And that's all that you can ask, mm -hmm. is hope that they will be moved mm -hmm. by this kind of panoply of experience that goes from the illiterate Nova Scotia woman to the woman who has attended Branksom Hall in, uh, in Toronto and is a product of private schools and is... is uh, she calls herself a failed intellectual, but is an extremely observant, uh, compassionate, intelligent woman. Right on. It's, it's a very interesting quality to hear what people say to each other and then get privy into what they're thinking. Like I think um, If We Are Women has that um, idea where the characters talk to each other and then we also hear what they're thinking. Mm. And wasn't a, an early draft of If We Are Women called Bodies of Thought? It was called Bodies of yes. Thought. Bless you for knowing that. Yes. Peter, and I've always thought of that with you, because that <laughs> idea of sort of bodies of thought, I think, is very much in your imagination and in your dramaturgy. Well, again, I mean, it, it, this is just such sort of, you know, fundamental theater stuff, but you only... Uh, I, I have written a couple of novels, and you do 100, 200, 300, 400 pages, as long as you think you're sustaining it, keeping it interesting. So maybe you have 500 pages that you send to, to an editor. But, but the, 
the constriction and, and restriction of, of writing for the theater is so precise because you have only speech. You have no narrative. So whatever, whatever is said is, is either going to have some semblance of truth or, I mean, this is sort of sweeping generalization, but some semblance of truth or it might be what is said is a complete camouflage for what is meant We've touched right, on, on, yeah. on that already. But because you have only speech, um, you, and you have essentially a minute a page. I mean, one of the problems that, that we had was that I had 10 minutes of length <laughs> that we had to get rid of. And 10 minutes is a lot of talk. And so you have this, I always use the analogy of, of a, a seamstress or somebody, a tailor who when you go into the first act and you do an adjustment, it's you know like you lift the sleeve, but then the wrist is all out of whack <laughs> two scenes later, so you have to go back and fix it. Right. So you're forever kind of you know making it all work. But you have essentially a two and a half hour experience and only and only speech. So um, so what is said becomes really of paramount interest. Yes. <laughs> oh. Oh Big question, how did Joanna <laughs> yes. come to writing plays? Yeah, in, in two minutes or less, yes. In two minutes yeah. or less? <laughs> go. <laughs> well, to be very, very frank about it, um, uh, there is a line in W.H. Auden's poem on the death of Yeats. You'll all have to Google it. <laughs> You'll have to get out there and find it. But it's an incredible poem that Whiston Auden wrote about uh, the dying, the passing of William Butler Yeats. And there's one line in it that moves me tremendously. And he says, mad Ireland hurt you into poetry. <laughs> and um, something about Saskatchewan and oh, the alcoholic wow. dad and all of that mm. registers very deeply with me. Well, we are so happy that it did hurt you into playwriting <laughs> uh, for you. all of us today. And we're also so glad that you've got a colleague like Marty ah, to bring yes, these plays to yes. life. So much thank gratitude. you very much, Marty and Joanna, and thank you all for joining us. Thank today. you. Thank you for coming. <laughs>